This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It was uh, hot and heavy at the Ontario leadership debate. Uh, the progressive conservatives held their second of two debates for the leadership. They started voting, actually, in just a couple of days. And on uh, March the 10th, they'll announce the winner. It was a much different scenario than what we saw with the first debate that was held on the TVO studios last week. And, uh, well, the fur was flying. And uh, it's rather interesting about how things turned out and how uh, how intense it got from time to time. Joining us to talk about this is Alan Carter, who is, of course, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News and uh, co-anchor of Global News at 5.30 and 6. Alan, great to have you back in the program. How are you today? Uh, good morning, Bill. I- I'm great. And, uh, you know, listen, I watched it so you didn't have to. <laughs> well, I did, too. So <laughs> I, I, was, listen, I was really surprised, actually, by the tone of the debate. I mean, I, it started off rather slowly uh, and uh, somewhat conciliatory. Uh, but they got they got pretty intense as as the thing as the evening went on. Yeah, it was like you say. It wasn't like the TVO debate that was just the you know at least the, the main three tiptoeing around each other and being really careful not to say anything that would give ammunition to the liberals. But by about the second half of the uh, this debate last night, yeah, the the gloves came off and you saw some pretty big swings. I mean, we all expected uh, Tanya Granik-Allen, who is the outsider, the uh, single-issue candidate, really, who's just running on, um, you know, a social conservative platform to scrap the sexual education curriculum. She doesn't have very much to lose, and she's been very forceful, and we expected that. But we also saw some pretty big shots from uh, Doug Ford to Christine Elliott, um, and some sort of nasty back and forth between a couple of the candidates. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Tanya Granick Allen for just a couple of seconds. You're right. I, I mean, I j- before the debate last night, Alan, I was on the same page as you. I said she's a one issue candidate, or so we thought. Uh, her second issue last night, which was pretty clear, she doesn't like Patrick Brown. <laughs> uh, she, uh, Warren Kinsella, our, our friend, the political commentator, tweeted this morning that if I had a drink every time Patrick Brown's name was mentioned, I'd have alcohol poisoning this morning. This guy's out of the race, uh, seemingly not a factor in it, but they spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of oxygen uh, knocking Patrick Brown. Well, especially she did. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, obviously there are legitimate questions about what do you plan to do with Patrick Brown if you're a leader? Does he get to run as a candidate? Is he in caucus? What does it mean when you say clear his? he has to clear his name? I mean, that's very vague. I mean, Mr. Brown, he says he's cleared his name, so has he? Um, and, you know, the other three candidates uh, sort of said, well, we'd, you know, we'd figure that out later. Doug Ford said, when I'm premier, I'll sit down with him. Um, so that, whereas Ms. Granick Allen, she not only said, well, he's out of the party and will not run under me, but then went on to really pivot away from any kind of allegations of sexual impropriety to just completely blast Mr. Brown for corruption and for political crimes. And all of that stuff does not play very well, I think, for the conservatives. I mean, a certain portion of them that you know felt betrayed by Mr. Brown, but the liberals are just rubbing their hands together saying, I mean, what political party talks about systemic corruption inside its party this close to a general election. Not only do they talk about it, but uh, she maintained uh, very vehemently that it still exists. And, and how can we even trust the process that they're going through right now? That's that's not the sort of stuff you want to put out on public. And, and she laid it right out there. Well, sure, and said that she would scrap all of these uh, contested nominations. I mean, we're getting down to the, the short straws here, Bill. And, you know, we're very, very close to an election. So to suddenly say, okay, we're going to reopen all of these uh, nominations. Now, granted, the the party has said that they're going to reopen at least two 
there's a possibility they may still reopen the third one in, in Hamilton. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a secret that there have been problems, but to have it out on display like that by Miss Granick Allen it is perhaps not the best for the party, but it certainly has, I think certainly we can say this, Bill, is that after her performance in those two candidates, she has become the flag bearer for social conservatism in this in this province. No kidding, no no two ways about it. But what I found fascinating is she basically tried to to take over the debate. I mean, there were some points there. I thought, you know what? If if you want to ask the questions, Ten, you go sit in the moderator's chair. Uh, well, she was, right, yeah. but but she she really seemed to kind of you know just take it over. But what's fascinating about this is that she started to do that and started to go on on the corruption debate. Uh, aspect of this, and even the sex ed thing, saying let's time to rewrite this. Should we inform parents when they're going to teach us? She sucked the other ones in, Ford and, and Christine Elliott, to, to agree with her. I mean, they they got right into that vortex too and said, yeah, yeah, we'll rewrite that, we'll do that. Uh, the only one that seemed to resist it was Carolyn Mulroney, who apparently we say we're told anyway is running fourth or third, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, I I don't put a ton of uh, stock in that Main Street poll. Um, however, I, I do think that it, it has identified the, the front runners. although I'm not certain that Mr. Ford's vote is going to show up to quite the degree that the Main Street polling suggests that it will. I, I, what I found interesting last night, and you're absolutely right about Ms. Granick Allen pulling everybody sort of towards her position, because remember, there's a sizable portion of the party that doesn't like the sexual education curriculum that essentially put Patrick Brown in the leadership because he had sort of catered towards them. And then, of course, he pulled the rug out from underneath them and said, no, no, I'm not going not gonna to touch that. The, that's off the table. So those people are all ticked off. But here's what I found very interesting last night, and it, that was Ms. Elliott. The first time that I have actually heard some real-world sort of analysis of energy contracts. I mean, all of them want to talk about, well, we're not going to have a carbon tax, so, but we're going to find the money in savings. Well, that, that's a bit of a reach. But yesterday, last night when Ms. Granig Allen was saying, well, well, I'm going to actually rip out all of the wind turbines, Ms. Elliott pointed out, quite rightly, that you just can't rip up contracts, uh, energy contracts. First of all, nobody's ever going to come to Ontario and do a, a deal with the government. And lest the Conservatives forget, those gas plants, remember the gas plants? Oh, I yeah. I forgot yeah. about those. Well, the reason we're paying a billion dollars for those gas plants is not just because of the bricks and mortar that went into it, but the fact that we had signed contracts with these uh, providers, with these builders, that then the Ontario government under the Liberals said, no, no, we're going to cancel that, rip up that contract. And then we had to pay a ton of money to make them whole again. And that's precisely what would happen if we ripped up energy contracts. Well, exactly. And and what what I found befuddling about this was, as, as Christine and I tried to explain that, of course, they, she was almost shouted down by the others and by some of the people in the studio audience. But that's that's typical, though, isn't it, of leadership things? I mean, you're playing to the home crowd here. I mean, it was a very partisan crowd, obviously, in studio. Uh, and, and I guess the best way to score points in a situation like that, Alan, is tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Well, you're, you're right. Um, and it is a different animal, a different beast when you're applying for a, a leadership position within a party as opposed to a general election. It's a two totally different uh, things. And I, I think Ms. Elliott has, has staked out a position and clearly showed last night that she has more experience 
and more ability to deal with real-world problems. And I think there's a section of the party, the ones that are saying, you know, the kind of the, the middle ground that are not social conservatives but are just looking for somebody that they think is a viable uh, alternative to Kathleen Wynne and could actually deal with Kathleen Wynne. Like, let's not forget that Kathleen Wynne is a very dynamic campaigner, a very skilled debater, you know, and I know she's, you know, her polling numbers are terrible and she's terribly unpopular and may not be able to win even if she ran against a turnip, but she's very, very good. And if the conservatives put somebody in there, I would suggest that Miss Mulroney doesn't look like she could handle uh, Kathleen Wynn. She might be able to beat her, but she's going to get beaten up in the debates. And Mr. Ford, you know, the laughter last night, I think half of it was for him and half of it was just adding. The, yeah, he's he's very much about platitudes and about you know zingers and things of this nature, and and very little about policy. Uh, you know, when when she he was asked actually about you know what are you going to do about sexual harassment? How would you do to tighten up that policy? He just said, well, I just won't allow it. Well, that'll settle it then. That's all you have to do, I guess. Uh, and, <laughs> it's not right. Well, we kind of knew that already, Mister Ford. What are you going to do about it? Well, we have to have respect. He said. Yeah, I'm not really sure how we you go about just you know. Enforcing respect. Well, well, the other one that I thought was pretty rich on Mr. Ford's part, too, was when he was talking about how to attract business here. And he says, I'll offer tax incentives, but I don't like corporate welfare. And I, well, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. But you know, like before you ran for this leadership thing, you, you said tax breaks for businesses was corporate welfare. But now apparently it's okay as long as it's him that's doing it. And he seems to make up policy on the fly, suggesting that he would offer some sort of financial incentive to doctors to go to smaller communities, which, you know, it doesn't seem to be a, a fully thought out platform. And then there is that oddness about uh, when I'm premier, I'm going to put up a giant neon sign at the border that says Ontario is open for business. And I'm not entirely certain that he was speaking metaphorically. Well, I mean, you can tell if he's not doing it in exact words, he's at least doing it in mindset that it's, you know, it's make Ontario great again. Uh, and they kind of tap danced around that because, I mean, you know, we've seen some of the economic numbers here. And, and I think at one point, Christine Elliott, or maybe it was Carolyn Marooney, actually said, you know, we're doing pretty good in Ontario despite all this. Well, you know, uh, that's that's not the sort of admission you want to make in a leadership debate that, hey, the numbers are pretty good. Employment is pretty good. Economic growth is pretty good. But, you know, but but they've still screwed things up. That's kind of counterintuitive to the message that they're trying to get across here. Well, you're right. But the fact of the matter is, is those numbers are good. Um, and what what is, I think, perplexing to liberals in this province and liberal supporters is that by any other metric, I mean, if you talk about the things that people probably should care about, things like GDP, things like employment, things like, you know, growth, those those numbers are all really, really good in Ontario right now. But that doesn't really seem to matter in terms of the popularity of the provincial government. There's another element to this that uh, what was missing last night, and and you know I think you and I have talked in the past about where the votes are when it comes to provincial elections, and a lot of the time it's in it's in southern Ontario, the GTAHA, Toronto, and to a lesser extent, of course, Oakville, Burlington, and, and Hamilton, uh, and up the 401 corridor, up through uh, KW, and of course through Ottawa. I never heard the word transit mentioned last night. Uh, I didn't hear anything about infrastructure funding. I didn't hear anything. I heard about lower taxes. We're going to tear this up. We're going to eliminate this. I didn't hear anything that was going to appeal to where most of the votes are in this province. No, and and the other things that were, you know, missing, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, is all the goodies that are in the uh, People's Guarantee. 
you know, they sure they talked about, well, we're going to take out that carbon tax and how are we going to replace the four to six billion dollar hole that it leaves in our platform. But all the other stuff that was in there that everybody, you know, that the conservatives all like, you know, and the candidates can't seem to come up with an actual way to pay for. But nobody talked about child care credits. Nobody talked about money for mental health. You know, all of the other things that are in that platform just have seemed to have fallen by the wayside. And they did touch on health care. Uh, and the only one of the four candidates that actually seemed to, to peel back that premier layer on this was Carolyn Mulroney when she said, look, we have to do other things. We need long-term care facilities. We need hospice care. Everybody else just said, I'm going to reduce wait times. Well, how are you going to do that? Everybody said that for the last 20 years that that's what they're going to do. But nobody seems to have a plan. And they well, still I, didn't I, get put much meat on the bones last night. Well, they, I think all of them said they would consult with doctors yeah. and nurses to find ways to, to to get the system going. And, I mean, I'm sure the Ontario Medical Association has said, hey, I got an idea. Pay us more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the same conservative government that went to war with doctors and nurses during the common sense revolution and cut funding for hospitals, but all of a sudden they want to be the doctor's best friend. That's uh, that's a turnabout if, in fact, that's going to happen. Well, I, I, I think it's an easy thing to say. It's like, how are you going to fix it? Well, I'm going to talk to the doctors and nurses. Well, that's a, you know... I guess that's I guess that's an answer, but I don't know if it's a realistic one. But if you look at the polling, Alan, and the result from some of the stuff on social media this morning, conservatives uh, lapped this up. I mean, they lo- they thought everybody was great. I-, I saw a number of people suggesting that Caroline Mulroney looks sensational uh, compared to the TVO debate. I-, I thought she looked tentative and unsure of herself myself. Uh, the others was, was uh, Christine Elliott seemed again to rely on experience, but the others it was just it was talking points, and uh, I guess that scores when you're on the home field. But I don't know if it's going to have as much of an impact as you mentioned when they get out. Whoever wins this thing and they have to get out on the campaign trail against Kathleen Wynne and Andrea Horvath and they have to start defending these positions and actually make up policy, uh, they got a tough road ahead of them. Yeah, my assessment from from last night, especially on, on Ms. Mulroney's point, is, I mean, she was wearing blue but projecting beige. She um, <laughs> was, I think, I think it was a distinct come down from her previous debate appearance where she seemed a little bit more poised and together. And um, that last night she stumbled. She seemed to just rely on her platitudes. I think she's overcoached maybe. I think that, you know, her team is just so terrified of actually saying anything that might derail her candidacy that she doesn't say anything. And that's kind of as this short campaign wears on, becoming more and more obvious that she just doesn't seem to really have any policy chops behind her. It's almost like she's never run for anything more. You know what I found, and you've covered so many debates, she looked like she was nervous about the fact that, oh my God, I've only got 90 seconds, i got all these talking points I have to get in. So she started talking quickly, and she couldn't get her points to the card. She's speaking in half sentences, and it's it, she didn't look confident in her own abilities. She looked inexperienced, Yeah, is the knock against her. Yeah, intelligent. Obviously, I mean, she had a lot to say, but she didn't know how to articulate it. And boy, that's that's poison in this business. Well, yeah, and and yeah, she had a lot to say, but you know, she seems to be very you know skilled or practiced at talking and saying nothing. So, is it still a two-person race then, as far as you're concerned? I I think it, yeah, I think pretty clearly after last night, I think Miss Elliott was the big winner last night. Showed um, some. A, a little bit more energy, a little bit more fight that she had before. I think Mr. Ford also did very well in appealing to that populist, um, rural, uh, conservative movement. Um, 
So, but when you look at how this is going to break down, remember that this is uh, all pre-votes, right? So there's no delegated con- conference. There's no, you know, follow your candidate across the floor to the other person and, you know, the votes all change. There's none of that. It's all voted. You vote in advance once. You, you pick one, two, three, your choices. So it's going to be incredibly important where the second choice votes go. And as you look at it, what's going to happen is it pretty clear that Miss Miss Granick Allen is going to drop off first before stop first. The question will be how much support does she have, and if all of her support goes to Doug Ford, you you listened last night to hear you know he he sounded like he was applying to be her hype man. I mean he was <laughs> he could not have been more excited about the things that when she said she was going to rip out the uh, all the windmills, he, he said beautiful, beautiful. You know so he's clearly courting that vote. If if he gets all of those votes, but it still doesn't put him over 50%, and we go to another ballot, and Ms. Mulrooney is forced to drop off, I think almost all of Ms. Mulrooney's uh, support is going to go to Ms. Elliott, and vice versa. So that's the path to victory for Ms. Elliott, is that on that third ballot, Mr. Ford might be close to the 50% mark, but pretty much all of Christine Elliott's, uh, or rather Caroline Mulrooney, if she is indeed third, We'll go to her, we'll go to Miss Elliott, and that should be enough to put her over the top. We saw that movie in uh, the summertime with the federal campaign. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see how it unrolls. Alan, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, great to be on. You betcha. Alan Carter, of course, uh, Queen's Park Bureau Chief with Global News and co-host of Global News at 530 and 6. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. So last evening... Uh, as I'm uh, swatting down my dinner, eating up at my desk there, I, I'm watching the debate last night, and we were just talking with Alan Carter about the, the leadership debate, but I also had city council on, so I was going back and forth between the two, uh, which is not good for digestion, by the way, watching both of these things going on at the same time. Part of the debate yesterday at Hamilton City Council was about uh, what to do with the cracked-up roads uh, down in the west end of the city. And Well, it's really city-wide, but I want to sp- speak specifically about what happened in the west end. Uh, because that was what the motion about. And a couple of days ago, we had Lloyd Ferguson on. He's the, the, the chairman of the Public Works Committee. And I uh, said that they were going to put a motion forward last night that was going to talk about some funding to get especially Maine West fixed up by McMaster University all the way down to, well, just about where we are, Maine and Longwood. But the debate was not that it needed to be fixed. Anybody that's driven that road understands that. I mean, the lunar surface is smoother than Main Street West is right now. But who's going to pay for it? Where's the money going to come from? And that was where the controversy was. Because it is, in fact, in Ward 1. And the councillor, Aiden Johnson, for Ward 1, wanted the city to pay for this. But as we've told you, there is a what they call an, uh, a, a fund. All right, I call it a slush fund. They have a different name for it. Uh, it's called the, you know, the, the Area Rating Fund. Each city councillor in Wards 1 through 8 is given $1.7 million annually. $1.7 million. And it's supposed to be to do infrastructure projects. That's what the motion said when they they passed this policy years ago, for infrastructure projects. Yet Councillor Johnson didn't want to spend any of his money on this road. He wanted to to come from from the tax base. And I had a problem with that, and I still do. And I I was glad because I talked to Sam Marullo about this yesterday on the show. And, And Sam said that he was going to press Johnson to at least pay for half of this out of his that fund, that $1.7 million. And then finally they came up with this. But, I mean, Councillor Johnson was, was resistant to that idea. And I, I, I just had such a problem with the logic, or lack of logic, actually, that he was putting forth on this. Uh, his logic, essentially, was he said people from all over the city drive on that street, so the whole city should pay for this, not just the residents of Board 1. 
Well, where do you think the money comes from, Councillor Johnson? Where do you think your $1.7 million annually comes from? It comes from me, from Ancaster, and from somebody in Stony Creek, and from somebody in Waterdown. It's money from the outlying areas that goes into your ward. I've already paid you to fix that road. And you choose not to use it to fix roads, and then you cry poor that you don't have money to fix the roads. Now, I know what they do. I know his excuse was they, they do a process called participatory budgeting for that money, which basically means all the people from Ward 1 that have special interests can go to the chancellor and say, do this, do this, do this, spend the money on this. And that's, that's fine if that's a choice. But then don't come back to us and say, well, I can't fix my roads. I, I used the example the other day. That's akin to somebody saying, well, look, at my roof is caving in and the rain's falling in, but I'm going to go buy a flat screen TV with, with, with my money. You put your money on the priorities, and roads are a priority. They did finally suggest, and, and it was passed, and that's wonderful. But I have a real problem with that. And it, it, again, part of this is systemic, because I still have a problem with this idea that these guys on city council have the ability to spend that money any way that they wish. Or to pacify or to, you know, give to special interests within the ward. It bothers me that it happens. It galls me that it happens, especially now, because this is an election year. So that money gets divvied up among this group, that group, that group, and it's a great way to curry favor, isn't it, with an election coming up? Great way to ensure your incumbency going into the, uh, the election this fall. But anyway, they're going to fix the roads. But the problem is, that looks after that little section on Main Street. That's not the only road that's in lousy condition here in this city. So what's the short-term plan for that project? And what's the large-term plan, the longer-term plan, for the other roads that are falling apart all over the city? Well, Dan McKinnon is uh, the guy that's going to have to come up with a plan. He's the general manager of public works for the city of Hamilton. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Dan, how are you this morning? Good morning, Bill. I have to thank you for that uh, musical introduction. That was clever. <laughs> well done. I, I have to credit the technical producer, Jacob Smith, who comes up with the songs for this. But uh, uh, you've been fixing holes since you took over this portfolio some time ago. It just seems as if it's one thing after another. The, and, and as we've talked about in the past, Dan, we all know that come springtime, potholes are a way of life here in Canada. It happens. But it isn't even spring and you guys are facing with this. This is something that is totally unforeseen. Yeah, we certainly didn't expect to see the amount of activity that we're seeing uh, this year. And, you know, there's uh, there's lots of theories out there about what might be happening. Uh, you know, a personal theory of mine is that the uh, the winter that we had in 2014 and 2015, uh, extraordinarily long-term cold temperatures probably exacted some kind of uh, structural uh, toll on our roads that didn't manifest itself for, for a while. I think the other thing that plays into that as well as with these modern winters we're seeing an increase of the frequency of the freeze thaw cycle so uh, you know as many of your listeners would appreciate 30 years ago we would see maybe a, a single thaw all winter long maybe in late january whereas now we might see five six seven eight thaws throughout the winter time and it's it's that freezing and thawing where the, the surface of the road has an opportunity to warm up and then it freezes again and then warms up and freezes again it's that action that can be very destructive to road surfaces so um, in the case of uh, the road section in front of McMaster University, I think it's uh, it's important to point out, though, that that road was originally built in 1969, so a full-blown road reconstruction. And then in 2005, we did what's called a shave and pave. And a shave and pave is something that you do when a road is maybe 60 to 70% through its life cycle to extend that life cycle. So um, it, it wasn't necessarily unexpected that it was going to come to failure at some point 
but you would expect that failure to happen a little more gradually. Uh, this year, it seems to have just kind of dropped off a cliff, and, and, and we didn't see that one coming. So That's that shaven pave that you talk about. Maybe you could just walk us through that. But I, I'm sure we've all seen it at one time, Dan, without even knowing what you've called it. It's essential where you take the surface off. And, I mean, if you're still driving on it, it's that kind of rough corrugated uh, feeling on, on the asphalt itself. And, and then you put a top coat on it? Exactly. We bring in the grinding machine, we grind off about 50 millimeters, and then we put 50 or 60 millimeters back on. That's a very popular way of um, doing something quickly and, and re- restoring that, that riding surface of the road. But it is, it is a tactic that you would use to just to, to buy yourself maybe another five or eight years, as opposed to when you do a full-blown road reconstruction, you should be able, expect to be able to get 25 or 30 years out of it. So there's different tactics that we can use um, to intervene throughout the life cycle of a road to just extend the life cycle of, the, of that portion of road. All right, so with the uh, the motion last night, let's talk about Main West, and then we'll get into the bigger picture about the rest of the city. Uh, uh, what are we talking about specifically here? Is it, is it Coots all the way down to, to Longwood here? Is, is that That's a pretty lengthy uh, piece of road. It is. The, the portion that's really in rough shape is the uh, eastbound lanes from Coots all the way to Macklin, and um you know, there's very, very short pieces that aren't too bad. But one of the things that we have to consider is LRT is planned to be moving in there and the construction should be starting within about three years. So not only do we have to, you know, kind of fix what's there now, we got to do something that's robust enough so that it'll get us to when LRT gets there uh, because the entire road corridor is going to be reconstructed at that point. So the idea would be to uh, grind the three eastbound lanes from Coots Drive down to Macklin and then maybe at some point uh, later on this year, come back and then the westbound lanes from essentially Longwood to in around Dalewood School, we think we need to do those as well. They, they don't look as bad as the eastbound lanes right now. They, they definitely need some work, but we think we can maybe wait for the milder weather to do that. One of the issues that I'm concerned about is this is not construction season. Construction season really starts in around the middle of April. And um, so my concern is getting uh, the the temperature up high enough so that when we put the asphalt in, we don't want to put it down in the wrong conditions and then have it fall apart a year from now. So we need, you know, ideally we'd like to see around seven or eight degrees. We can pave when it's a little cooler, but uh, if we're going to be getting snow and more frost and all of that, I I really want to avoid that because whatever we do there, it has to last until we get to LRT. Boy, timing is everything, I guess. In in, in you know, city administration is everything else. I mean, you couldn't have picked a worse weekend. We're going to get another blast of winter. So right off the bat, we know that it's not going to happen at least for another week until this thing gets cleared up. Yeah, I mean, depending on how the um, the weather looks over the next week, we may not even be able to get started grinding in there until late next week. And uh, so when we start grinding, the the process is essentially you grind off that top two inches. We have to do some kind of visual inspection to make sure that the base below is sound. And if we have any areas that we're concerned about, we will just patch those base areas with asphalt. We clean it up. We have to look at the manhole covers to see whether or not we need to reconstruct any of them. Once we do that, then we can come in and put the top course asphalt on. So it's, you know, from start to finish, um, optimistically 10 to 15 days. But depending on what we find, it might be it might be as many as 20 working days. But it's definitely a priority. Uh, you know, it's certainly not lost on us that uh, the, the riding conditions down there are, you know, I, I don't know that I've seen a section of road in my career in the city of Hamilton that's degraded so fast and, and to such an awful state as, as that section there. All right. The good news is you're going to fix this. Uh, the, the funding is there. That's that's all good. This is going to move on. Uh, but let's let's talk about the hard facts on this. This is a very, very busy road. So, I mean, when you're going to do this, there are going to be lane closures and that's going to mean traffic delays. Absolutely, we will. Uh, we'll be doing. We'll try to do one lane at a time. Um, we will do a communication uh, ahead of time, and it'll all be signed. And uh, 
Yeah, when you talk about how busy it is, uh, obviously the Link and Red Hill are the two busiest roads in, that the city of Hamilton owns. And number three is uh, that section of Maine. It, it sees about 55,000 cars a day. So uh, outside of the Link and the Red Hill, it's the busiest road in Hamilton. So um, we know that it's going to create some challenges once we start closing a lane there to do the work. What about the, 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 yeah, it is what it is. I mean, this is the climate. This is what we're faced with here, Dan. Uh, are, are there any other technologies, any other things that we can look at here as alternatives? I mean, I know some jurisdictions use concrete instead of asphalt. Uh, I don't know that that'd be any better in a circumstance like this. I mean, you know, the frost cycle is still going to be the frost cycle. It's still going to crack, isn't it? Yeah. I, typically, when you when you have a concrete road base, you put cuts in it so that the cuts will follow the crack, and then you at least you're controlling the crack. Uh, the uh, the crack, but. Um, yeah, we, we have both in Hamilton. We have a, so some roads are concrete based with asphalt on top. Some are granular based with asphalt on top and some are just exposed concrete. Parkdale Avenue and a large section of uh, Burlington Street are concrete for anybody who knows those, those roads. Mm-hmm. And, and each one of them has their, you know, we make decisions based on what's the best for that particular circumstance when you consider just the, um, the type of traffic that's going over it, the volume of traffic that's going over it, the speed at which people are driving over it. All those things have to go into the uh, kind of the evaluation criteria to determine what surface you want at the, uh, the traffic taxi ride on. And um, um, so with uh, Main Street, uh, you know, I, I suspect we'd probably go back with some kind of uh, asphalt on granular or asphalt on concrete base when the, when the final road is done there in a few years. We got smarter some years ago. There was a time uh, it went, when people would say, well, you know what, we're going to resurface uh, such and such a street. And then a year and a half later, they go along and say, by the way, we need new sewers. Now we've got to tear all that up. Yeah, everything is coordinated now. And, and, and that's great because it does save the money uh, in the long term in the way the city does things when it comes to doing stuff under the ground and what has to be done on the surface right now. But it's got to be a little frustrating to know that you're going to spend over a million dollars to get this fixed. And probably a year and a half, two years from now, you're going to tear it up again. Well, and that's the balancing act, and yeah, it's probably not obvious to, to the to the average person just the kind of complexity around planning a road reconstruction project. And you've you've nailed it when you talk about we have to evaluate the condition of the sewer, we have to evaluate the condition of the water main because that's those are the assets that the city owns, and then we blend all that with the condition of the road, and then um, once we decide that we're going to do a road then we have to consider is there development going to happen on that street because we may need to upside the sewer, upsize the sewer, and we may need to put um, services to the property line because we don't want to dig up a new road. And then in addition to that, we have to check with all the utility companies because Bell Gas and Hydro might have work that they want to do. So we we generally have a three-year pipeline where we say we have to work backwards. So if we wanted to deliver a project in, uh, say, 2020, we'd be starting that design right now. Uh, early in 2018 so that we could get all the design and approvals and clearances um, done throughout 2018 in the earlier part of 19 and then we'd, we'd, we'd get the the, um, the capital approved so that we could tender it in early 2020 so that we could deliver the work in 2020. So so when we have a situation like Main Street where we want to move in quickly, um, we, we I, I'm hesitant to call it throwaway money because anything we do is extending the life of that road and we will be extending the life of that road for another two, three, four years. So um, it's not it's not the most efficient investment, but it's it's not. I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as throwaway. I know there's some concern about the timing here. That this is still it's it's winter still, and and the fact that you know we're going to have some messy weather tomorrow indicates that you know we can still be prone to winter weather. But but people that are concerned about this thing you know corrupt and, and falling apart again simply because you're doing this in, in February as opposed to in April, 
uh, by the time that, that you've talked about here, the time frame that this is actually going to be completed, you're probably into at least the third week of March, uh, toward the end of March anyway. And the, the frost is not much of a concern at that stage. So this is probably going to last right through until you begin the LRT construction. Well, that's certainly our hope. Um, you know, that's 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 our goal and our hope. And we're, you know, if, if I could... If I could turn the heat up out there, I'd certainly do it. But we're just going to have to kind of play play the uh, play the weather here for the next couple of weeks and try to hit it at the most opportune time. All right, this was uh, obviously this was the the watermark. This is the one that everybody was talking about. But this what what this did is serve as a catalyst to just what everybody else in the city say. Well, what about this road? What about this one? Uh, do the rest of those projects just get put to the back burner until you start your spring cleanup and your spring resurfacing? Uh, yeah. So, you know, when we have a situation like occurred on, uh, Main Street or, or Burlington Street, we, we can go out and patch those potholes. And, uh, you know, we've been all hands on deck doing that over the last, uh, number of weeks and we'll continue to do that until we don't need to do it anymore. So we've even had outside contractors helping us out with it. But I am bringing a report to, uh, uh, committee tomorrow, uh, basically saying that as staff, we're going to look at, um, the areas of the city, the segments of road where we've seen, you know, accelerated decline throughout this winter. And we're also going to compare that with uh, some of the risk management claims that we're seeing. And then uh, we're going to, in, in the next month or two, we'll bring back another list to council to say, you know, if there's an appetite or if we can find the funding for it, we would like to do some short-term repairs on some of these other streets because um, depending on where they are in our regular capital program, if they're four or five years out, if we have a concern that they're not going to last till then, we might have to go in and do a shave and pave on those roads as well. Uh, and obviously, there's a reserve fund to handle some of this stuff because this is not a budgeted item. Yeah, and I and, and in addition to that, I think council is going to consider some uh, some ideas around uh, maybe finding some additional funding uh, through the budget process. So on and on it goes then, and 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 then of course we'll start with the usual process in the springtime about filling in potholes and and things of this nature. Uh, unexpected, I guess, but that uh, that's the way Mother Nature throws curves at us and. I guess we have to keep in mind that uh, that that's what's happened, as you mentioned, because of the uh, the adverse winter conditions, and the fact that we, as we tend to forget, and we talked about this with the Claremont access and with so many other projects you've been involved in, Dan. It's a lot of water under us right now, so I mean, the ground beneath these roads is moving all the time and shifting all the time, and that causes a bit of a problem that we don't even notice until something like this happens. Yeah, that's uh, people probably don't appreciate just uh, you know how much benefit and how many how many problems come from water. <laughs> depending on what state it's in. But yeah, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's what we do in public works. We're uh, much of our effort here is just around the uh, uh, moving water, either, um, you know, storm water or drinking water or wastewater. Uh, you know, we, we we're, we're uh, fundamentally in the water business in one, one form or another. And this is just another example of that. Dan McKinnon, general manager of public works for the city of Hamilton. Dan, uh, good luck with this. Thanks for the time today. My pleasure, Bill. We'll uh, talk again soon. And as Dan mentioned, uh, he will go back to city committee tomorrow, and they'll talk about uh, the plan for the rest of the city because the Main Street West, as bad as it is, is certainly not the only problem they've got here. There's some craters in some of the roads in other parts of the city that uh, that certainly need to be addressed. Welcome to Southern Ontario, gang. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Yeah, uh, winter's not over. Sorry, gang. Uh, spoiler alert. I know that uh, we had some nice mild weather over the last couple of days, but uh, we're going to get a blast of uh, snow and wind and all that stuff that we had, uh, well, about a month ago, the beginning of February. What's going on? Dave Phillips is a senior climatologist with Environment Canada. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to try to explain. David, how are you doing today? 
I'm well, Bill. It's, hey, the first uh, first day of March, we had record warm temperatures yesterday in Hamilton and many parts of Ontario, and today we might see a record snowfall for Hamilton. I mean, this is what hey, spring kind of weather is all about, where winter is trying to hold on and, uh, and summer is trying to get a, a foothold. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of topsy-turvy. That's what, hey, the transition seasons are all about. But, you know, I was outside walking the dogs just two yeah. days ago, David. I mean, my neighbors had their shorts and T-shirts, and that, which is a little premature because it was only about six or seven degrees. But, I mean, it did get up around 14 or 15 a couple of days this week. And, and you know, I guess we get fooled, don't we, and figure that's, that's it. It's springtime. We can get the lawn furniture out. Well, you know, exactly, Bill. You know, I always say, you know, and it's always hard for us to, when we issue the, and today is our first, uh, we're issuing our spring forecast, and uh, and you always have to provide some some guarded messages to say, well, you know, winter's not over. It doesn't mean just because uh, March, April, May are the spring months that, that nature's got the message. Uh, it Typically in, uh, in Hamilton, uh, from the 1st of March on, you get about 36 centimeters of snow still on average about 23% of your annual snowfall. And last year, Bill, I mean, my gosh, March was one of the, uh, a very snowy uh, month. I think it was, yes, it was the, the most, almost the most snow. I think December had a little bit more, but you ended up with, from March 1st on, about 50 centimeters of snow that you were shoveling, plowing, and pushing. The only thing about March, um, I don't live in a home anymore. I live in a condo, but um, what I, I used to have a rule, I would never shovel my walk in March. I figured what nature can give it can also take it away because you know that the sun's a little warmer uh, you can feel that heat on your your skin and the temperatures can be cold and you get snow but my gosh they could rock it back up there in a couple of uh, days and and certainly I see temperatures for example Monday in Hamilton being five uh, five or six degrees and so uh, you know if you don't you could procrastinate and and, uh, and not be in trouble with this uh, but you know we're going to see a, a, a storm system clearly it's already started Started raining in in Windsor and Chatham. Uh, it's entering the uh, Canada already, and uh, and this one is going to be hugging the the North Shore of Lake Erie and also Lake Ontario. And uh, so the further south you are, that is in the Niagara, Haldeman, uh, uh, Hamilton area, there'll be more more impactful. Will this storm uh, uh, be? And and you're right, Bill. The winds is like a nor'easter. It's like what maritimers say as a nor'easter. Well, the winds will come around from the northeast and will provide a little bit of cold. And so with the hours of rain won't be very long, two or three, maybe starting at about 3 o'clock. And then it'll be principally a snow event with some some strong winds to, to blow it around too. But I saw some of the, the maps on the Weather Network, and this is and you've told us about these in past years, Dave. This is one of these things that's actually coming up from, uh, from the south, isn't it, up the Mississippi Valley? Yes, and, it, you know, it's tapping moisture. It, it's a sopping wet kind of system. It's got cargoes of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico. It's not a, an Alberta clipper that sort of hits and runs and, and really is a dry system. This one has got lots of, uh, of moisture associated with it, uh, principally be rain for some areas, but it will, because it's a nor'easter, it draws in that cold air to the north and just cold enough uh, uh, to turn that rain into, uh, into snow. So it's... Uh, it is, um, uh, and, and certainly it's, it could be the, I know we had in, in Hamilton a, a 13 centimeter snowfall there about the middle of December. So mm-hmm. potentially, Bill, this could be the, 
the biggest snow dump of the uh, of the winter so far. That's the thing about March storms, though, isn't it, Dave? You get this sloppy mix of, of oh. rain and and some wet snow, and it just it's it's really kind of the worst of winter weather. I mean, snow is snow, and I mean, but, and we shovel it. That's and those are the December and January storms. But now we get into this mix where the the weather can be a factor, the temperature certainly a factor in, in what kind of precipitation we get, and and oftentimes here in southern Ontario, it's mixed. Yes, exactly, and you're so right. I mean, uh, March really uh, is begins the month where you really get more rain than snow, uh, more rain days than snow days. But 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 sometimes they occur on the same day, and so and we're seeing with this system, it, it's almost a classic uh, kind of a March uh, system where you're going to start as rain, and then a couple of hours where it's mixed rain and snow, it'll melt itself, and then finally as the temperatures drop, it'll just be the uh, the the, the white stuff. So you're right. I mean, it's nothing surprising. This isn't something we haven't seen. It's very typical. We saw it last year. We've seen it almost every year. I, I don't know of a March, April where we've, we've, we've always had snow in the Hamilton area. And, uh, and, and with the, the fact that temperatures don't tend to be as cold, um, then you have a lot more sometimes moisture associated with the system. So you have the potential for, for having, um, uh, when it does snow or rain, to, to get one of these Paul Bunyan snowfalls or these heavy amounts of, of rain, and, and as they say, sometimes within the same system. Of course, you also have in, in uh, March uh, uh, that, that possibility of having even the freezing uh, rain uh, where there's a... Oh, don't even talk about that. Come no, on. No, don't I, jinx I, us here. I, as soon as I mentioned it, I thought, oh, don't <laughs> do that, you know, that's not fair. Listen, i got to ask you, though, because, I mean, well, you know, we're going to have to drive in this stuff, and that's miserable, yeah. and I guess the, the rush tomorrow morning is going to be kind of messy because of that. But there are those that love the snow because they love to, to do their recreational activities in this. And I've mentioned in the past, Dave, you know, my wife and our daughters are avid skiers. Oh, I know that, Bill. Uh, and th- we've got family up in the Barrier area and up over Blue. Th- th- I don't even know if they're going to be impacted. They're just on the cusp of this thing. I mean, they're, they're not going to get nearly as much snow as we are down here. Right. I live in the Barry area, and there's no warning out for us. And, you know, so often I've seen, Bill, this year, where storms, the worst place to be is, is in the Niagara Peninsula area, the Hamilton area, because these systems come, and most of our, our lousy weather comes from the United States. This system, when it sort of drives right into the province, well, hey, everybody is in the same pickle. But sometimes when they just skirt it, they just go to the northern edge, you guys are closer to the storm center, and so we may get a few flurries and a dusting of snow, but you're closer to the to the, the epicenter of this system, and so therefore um, you're going to get the most impact uh, from this system. And we've seen this at least two or three times this uh, uh, this uh, this winter. I, I've, I've said, you know, almost greedily in a way, I said, oh gosh, I'm glad I live in Barrie and not in Hamilton, because <laughs> we're not going to be, it's not going to be storm state for us, but here's another one, Bill. It may not be the last one. It's just uh, I guess it's location, location, location is a, is, a, is a matter, and uh, sometimes those systems that really drive right into the heart of the province, they will bring you the rain, and they'll bring the snow to the, to the western and northern ends, because they're in the, in the colder air. But these ones that just kind of are teasers, that they come into the, the province, but, but not in a, in a lasting way, they, they can sometimes bring a lot of misery to the, uh, uh, to the Hamilton, Niagara area. I, I mean, we moved to a smaller place, uh, still in Ancaster last year, but I mean, I, I uh, I gave my snowblower to her daughter up in Barrie and because obviously they needed it, and they they certainly used it last year. I want it back now. I mean, well, so, they they got virtu- you guys got virtually nothing up in Barrie this year. Bill, I I couldn't 
when I looked at the numbers, and the reason for it, Bill, is that we got no lake effect. Very little lake effect. That's a lot and of That's unusual for Barry. That. Yeah. And what we saw was some very cold December. It caused the ice to form over the lakes. And, um, and so, therefore, it cuts off the moisture from these systems. So, in a way, um, you know, sometimes it can be too cold up here to, to snow because of the fact that that ice grows on the lakes. Well, then you, you really, one of your major uh, snow producers is, is not there for you. And so what we end up with is, is snow that comes from Texas, Oklahoma, or, or Colorado, is the same as you guys. And it's those westerly things, as you say, those uh, those Alberta clippers. Yeah. And uh, because I, I was surprised to find out, and I think you told us this last winter, that I mean, Barry gets more snow than Blue Mountain does, uh, uh, simply because it, of its location on the lake. That's right, exactly that. And you know, wind wind, of course, is everything too. Um, we saw a lot of uh, places in Ontario uh, from lake effect this year were down in the London, the Strathroy area. Yeah. It just absolutely got socked in there because the winds were persisting from the north. They really have to blow more west, maybe west-northwest, to to affect uh, uh, this area. But my gosh, it's been, I uh, we haven't had snow uh, since Valentine's Day. I mean, it, it's, uh, and any snow on the ground. So uh, it's, um, for, for city managers, that's, uh, it's good news for them. They're not having to spend it on the, on the shoveling. I think we had, for example, just uh, compared to last year, and you know, last year, Bill, as you remember, was a mild winter. Yeah. Uh, we had in, um, in, in, uh, in Hamilton so far, this time last year, I think we had 65 uh, centimeters of snow. You've had about 115 so far this year, which is about normal. And uh, But we've had, I think, at least 120 centimeters more snow last year than we've had this year. So it's really been missing here. But, hey, it's been uh, hanging out in your neighborhood, though. But, but, I mean, let's face it, for those that do rely on the winter weather for their recreational stuff, and I'm thinking of Old Blue, and there's some ski hills, of course, in the Barrie area. Yeah. It's, it's been a better year than last oh. year. I mean, you know, we had, that was horrific last year. They actually they'd sent some staff home back in December and yeah. simply said we're not going to have a ski season. But the, I, I think they've done all right. You're so right, Bill. It's you know what has happened is the snow they've got. Well, it's less than last year has stayed because temperatures have been cooler than normal. I mean, you've had I think in Hamilton just as an example seven days where the temperature got below minus twenty this this uh, winter. Last year there were none of those, and the year before none of those. So uh, it's been the cold that has kept the snow, and also they do make snow up in that area, and they've had some fairly good uh, good conditions for making snow. So so clearly that's that's the way they adapt to a kind of of a, of, a, of a winter like this. Now, I was recommending to some of our friends that, uh, that you know, because of the weather we're getting, that this might be a good time to head up to Blue or to Barry, to Moonstone, whatever, because this may be the last weekend. But you're telling me that uh, as, you, as you look ahead here, we may be getting more snow in March. Well, uh, that's right. I mean, I would never, it, you don't write the obituary on, on winter <laughs> snow in, uh, in, in the first day of March. I mean, we had snow two years ago, my gosh. In May in in Toronto, I mean uh, uh, that's that's rare, uh, and we've if we've seen some some Mother's Days with snow, uh, and uh, so I, I no I, I think that um, we clearly could see more. Um, uh, it's just that it doesn't maybe snow as often, uh, and of course uh, it does has no staying power. But I I kind of wish for the certainly the ski the recreation area up here. There's still some ice fishing going on. Is that um, the March break is coming up, and, and that's really where a lot of those places that it, it is a determination whether it's prosperity or bankruptcy for them. So uh, it'd be good to have a little bit of a return to winter, and, and, and 
is soft winter where where you know it's not so brutal that you can't go to the ski hills but hey there's something great about March skiing I mean the snow is not the greatest but boy you, you don't have to have a, a balaclava and a, and a parka on when you're skiing within March well I can tell you we were up there the last few years and uh, that March break if they have snow and it yeah. hasn't always happened uh, I mean that road uh, that called Mountain Road from uh, Blue Mountain to Collingwood it's it's gridlocked I mean in that week because everybody's <laughs> up there right. Everybody has the same idea, Bill, and and it's uh, usually you're not storm state because of the of the weather, but it, it's more because of just people want to get in those those final runs. Now, very quickly about what's going to be happening here in Hamilton. You mentioned it's already started. The storms in Windsor now, yes. uh, but it's rain. Uh, is it going to come into the Hamilton uh, Niagara area as rain and then turn to snow, or is yeah, it going to be chilly by then? be by say three o'clock this afternoon there'll still be about two degrees so we see a couple of hours of rain and then a rain snow mix and then about six o'clock seven o'clock it'll strictly be snow as the temperatures get down to one or zero and the winds pick up 40 to 60 kilometers per hour from the northeast a true classic nor'easter and we see it snowing pretty well all over all night and into tomorrow morning all right now is there a chance because there's always a concern during yep. that uh, t- temperature transition of freezing rain is that is that a possibility it's not many None of our advisories, anything I've looked at, uh, nothing, nothing is mentioned about that. Uh, we see the uh, temperatures hovering about that, but uh, the winds are fairly strong, and that will help to keep that freezing rain. Oh, I think it'll strictly be uh, a rain, a snow rain mix, and then finally all snow, and, and then blowing snow. So you'll be shoveling it. If you do, you might be shoveling it two or three times because of those strong winds. And then probably by 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, uh, it'll pretty well be... Uh, over with, and then we see uh, a really sunny weekend with temperatures that are like one or three degrees, very close to normal. What about if for driving conditions, though? I mean, if the snow yeah. does end, say, by, by noonish tomorrow, uh, what about those winds? Because, I mean, that can cause whiteout conditions and some miserable driving. Well, that's right. The visibility is always a concern, uh, Bill, with that. I mean, if it's if it's heavy, wet snow, it's a little less so. But but no, we think those winds are you know forty gusting to sixty over all night into tomorrow morning. So so there will be a, a bit of a concern on the, on the highways because of that. And then, but as I say, the weekends uh, uh, there will be some temperatures to help to melt it, and you can get out there and enjoy the snow that has fallen. I hope, I hope that during this mild stretch we had over the last couple of days, nobody took their snow tires off. Well, that's always it. I mean, that's true. I mean, you know, there's a little piece of of, uh, weather wisdom that I'll give you, Bill. Uh, Till April's dead, change not a thread. In other (laughs) words, also don't take off those snow tires. Well, sage advice uh, from a guy who's seen a few winters in his time. (laughs) You're right. David, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Okay, Bill. Now. Dave Phillips, of course, uh, senior climatologist with Environment Canada. Uh, and take uh, take caution on this. Uh, it is going to get pretty sloppy. Uh, we should be okay. It's going to be wet for the drive home later on this afternoon. I know you listen to CHML anyway to get your traffic and weather updates uh, for the drive home. But uh, they say probably about 5, 30, 6 o'clock that's going to start turning to snow, and it's going to get pretty slippery uh, tonight, and uh, especially in the early stages, obviously. You know that the city knows about this, and you know that their crews are going to be ready, and they'll have the... Uh, well, they don't use salt anymore, but that, that mix of whatever it is that they throw onto the roads, uh, that's going to be out there. But uh, as Dave mentioned, because of the wind and because of the intensity of the snow in the overnight period, they're not going to be able to keep up with it. So the roads are going to be pretty messy. And the drive tomorrow morning is uh, is going to be really, really problematic simply because of all the snow and stuff that's going to be there and the plows on the road. So leave early. 
leave early and uh, drive safely. All right, and, and it's probably not our last kick of the can when it comes to winter. So uh, just keep that in mind. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.